I did say to T, and you could take as long as he likes. Because <laughs> thank you, can. thank you. Um, well, good evening. Um, so we we're back again with the same passage that we considered this morning. I can see there's a few faces that weren't here this morning. So you know, this gives us an opportunity to practice our Christian love and grace. Uh, so as I go over briefly what we covered this morning, you will bear with me. But um, I, I will say something, you know, and, and as this um, message tonight and this morning is about our commitment to the local fellowship, you know, when I first read through the Bible, I can remember a passage in Luke that really struck me, uh, was the passage where Jesus had just uh, gone through a number of parables and the disciples afterwards came and expressed to Jesus that they didn't understand what he was saying. And Jesus' response to them was, Behold, to you it has been given to see the truth. And then Jesus explained these parables for them clearly. And I can remember reading that and think, Well, isn't that unfair? Why is God showing, explaining it to this bunch of guys, but he didn't explain it to the other guys? And the key was this, the disciples yearned to know more. They followed Jesus faithfully and they hung around long enough to hear the explanation. They didn't just whimper as soon as the miracles and the entertainments faded for the day, but they stuck around for what was important. And you know, sometimes I think as Christians, I know there's, there's things that can hinder us between coming, you know, both services but I think sometimes, you know, when, when there's a, a series or something or there's a, a continuing of a message, it's important that we try and, and be there to hear what is left to be said on the subject. And, and I think we see that principles with the disciples, don't we? They wanted to know more. And although things can be difficult, I think it shows, you know, in, in some way, that everything in our hearts is not always right. That we don't always desire to seek the Lord with the fullness of, of, of our heart as He desires us to come to Him. But even in light of that, we are reminded that Jesus bore our sin upon the cross. We are not perfect. And so when we see, when we see these realities that, you know, people are lax in their commitments or people are maybe not as dedicated as what we want them to be, we need to remember one thing. God is gracious. God is patient. And therefore, we, His children, should have the same patience and grace with those in our fellowship in every regard. I mean, we, not, we, don't, we don't work walk in people's shoes, isn't it? So we don't always know the full story. But with that in mind, let's, let's just... Read the passage that we are focusing on again. So Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through to 25, the end of 25. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by the blood of Jesus, by his new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh. 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing nearer. Now, I, I, I explained this morning that the book of Hebrews is really a book in which we have two principles set out clearly for us. I'll just cover that uh, briefly. It presents first to us Jesus as supreme to all the other, to all the other analogies that are used in, in this book. We have angels and the Torah. We have Moses and the promised land. We have the priests and Melchizedek. And we have the sacrifices and the covenant. And in light of these things, the, the, the writer of the Hebrew is shouting out to us saying, Jesus is far more important than all of these. And if you were required in the Old Testament to obey God because of these things that were put forward to us, then how much more not should we obey the Lord now through the sacrifice of what Jesus Christ had achieved for us? It is a book through, through which these four illustrations are presented to us. And after each of these illustrations, we are giving, given a stark warning. A warning which is set forth in light of this challenge that is presented to us in this letter to the Hebrews. That we should now follow Jesus with all, he, with all our hearts because he has paid that great sacrifice for us. And that's what we looked at this morning. Uh, we looked at this new and living way, what the um, writer is on about in this passage. But we, we also spend time to point out that this section here is a section really that we could have summarized. That if you had to draw a summary, you would have said that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because he has opened the way for us to come into the promise into this, this promised fellowship with God the Father and this perfect fellowship with the God the Father through His sacrifice, because of that, we should now be people who in no way neglect the fellowship of the saints. Because it's in this fellowship of the saints that we fulfill the perfect and complete will of God for the body of Christ in this world today. That is really just a summary of what we covered this morning. I will re refresh your memory just briefly with something I, I missed out. I wanted us to, as we considered this new and living way, to read both John 14 verse 6 through to um, 8. We did that, but I also wanted us to focus on John 10 verse 7. So let's just briefly, as we go into the rest of this now, draw our mind back into the flow of this passage by looking at John 10 verse 7, just to yet again in our mind have our, have our, our memory refreshed on what this, this, this perfect way that the writer of Hebrews is on about. Again, from the words of Jesus himself, in John chapter 10 verse 7, he says, 
So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. This is the promised way that the saints throughout the century has waited for. There is no other way. They all roads do not lead to Rome. You know, the amount of times when I engage people about the gospel, when they say, well, isn't it very ignorant of you to think that Jesus is the only way? You know, just this, this week on, on Thursday, we gathered in a, in a group um, in, in Lynham. We have our Bible study day at lunchtime has grown immensely. We have about 17 people attending. Um, two new people came this week. The, the chaplain and I have tried to start off uh, what, what they call the Christian network. The MOD is pushing for lots of different networks to take, to take shape in all their different establishments. You know, so you have LGBT, GBT, I can't even say the acronym, networks. You have you know, Muslim networks. You have feminist networks. All these type of networks. And so we, we, we are conscious that actually as Christians, we don't have a voice on this level. And so another a colonel, a Christian in Abbey Wood, started a network there, and, and that was quite successful. And so we tried to replicate it here. And on, on Thursday, we had our meeting uh, over lunchtime, and two new ladies came. And, you know, as we just discussed who would fill different positions of the committee, we, we set forth a statement of faith. And in a statement of faith, we, we, we had the Nicene Creed, which is, is a bit, pretty orthodox statement. One thing that the Nicene Creed miss, misses in some extent is explaining where all these doctrines come from. So we added that all these truths uh, stream from the Word of God, which is the only source for our salvation and the ultimate uh, revelation of God's will for us. And, you know, immediately... Two people had their hands up. Oh, I don't know if we should say it's the ultimate way. You know, there could be many other ways. No, this is the ultimate way. This is the new way that have been prepared for us so that we can actually have a relationship with God through the new and living way that Jesus Christ has established. But as I said, you have these two statements. So we have this access before God and the response according to the writer of Hebrew, is that, Hebrews, is that we would delight in this fellowship. But now he's got three sections that we haven't looked at. Three, three commandments that he gives to us in light of both the, this, this new and living way which we have in which we have entered into a relationship with God, but also in response and direction into what we should endeavor to do when we meet together in this fellowship. That God is calling us to. So he says, as I said this morning, said, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. Then in verse 23 he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And then in 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And then he goes on and said, do all these things while not neglecting the fellowship of the saints. You see, all those things are great things to do. 
And as individuals, we can engage ourselves in those things and busy ourselves with those things. But if we do not, if it does not culminate in the experience of Christian fellowship in the local church, then it, 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 it does not fit into God's picture of how we should go about things. And let's consider those things now. First, first one is that we should draw near with a true heart. What does it look like? If I ask you, brothers and sisters, what does it look like for us to draw near to God with a true heart? You know, the first thing that needs to come to our mind is that as we have the word of truth, the word of truth is the very source which needs to define to us what this looks like. Turn with your Bibles back to me, just, just to one of these examples that is presented to us in Hebrews chapter 4. So, it, it is in the section that deals about the Sabbath rest. And if we go to verse 14 of chapter 4 it says there and I'll I'll read through to verse 16 it says there since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens Jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. You see, a couple, couple of months ago, I can remember there was a soldier, I was ministering to him, he, he, he was not a very, very confident guy. He was just, just turned 18, really. He came through Harrogate. He wasn't sure whether he wanted to be in the army or not. And uh, the first time I met him, he came to see me because he was actually thinking about leaving the army. And as I tried to encourage him and talk to him, I found out that his parents were actually believers and started talking to him about faith. He didn't have a faith himself. But... As I started reading the Bible with him, he, he started, started talking as though he did actually believe in God. And we know from the scriptures that everyone does actually believe in God. They just suppress that reality. But as I started meeting with him, he became more and more open to spiritual things. And one day as he was sharing his troubles, his concerns about being in the army with me, I asked him, you know, you, 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 have, you have professed now to believe in, in Jesus, and you, we, we have looked at some things that you said you believe in. Have you tried to pray yet about your troubles, about your difficulties? To which the guy said to me, well, you know, the way I view God is God is really big. He's awesome. He's looking after the whole world. Why would God consider and bother himself about the little things that bother me in my life. I think I will save my prayers for if there's really big things that is starting to bother me or that I'm concerned about in your life. And I said to him, can you, can you give me an example of the big things that you're thinking about? I said, well, maybe, he said, maybe if my mom 
was really ill or somebody that I love is really ill, maybe I could pray to God about that. You know, and I I, I thought back and I can remember a a sermon that Charles Spurgeon, I think it was Charles Spurgeon or else it was J.C. Ryle, one of those two guys, and uh, they preached the sermon and just sprung to my mind at that moment. And, and they preached the sermon. And after the sermon, they said a lovely old lady came up to him. And, and the sermon was about, about prayer and, and the need for prayer. And the old lady came up to him and said, Sir, I just want to ask you, do you think it's all right if I pray to God about the little things in my life? And as these old men in their boldness would normally respond, I would never dare to do that, but uh, to, to an old lady at least. But the, the response of, of, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, was, Ma'am, do you not know that everything in your life is little before God? You know, and actually it is so true. And as I said, I, said, I shared this with this guy. I said to him, you know, everything in your life is little before God. And he said, what do you mean? Do you mean God don't care? I said, no. God is has infinite power. There's nothing that is big for him. He spoke this universe into, into creation. There's nothing that you can lay before God that is bigger or smaller than any other problem. Therefore, we can bring everything before the throne of grace. And part of what the, the writer in Hebrews is saying to us by saying that we should draw near to God with a true heart is, is he's imploring us and, and driving us to seek to understand our God, to understand who he is. And if we consider that passage in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, then it's clear this God whom we worship, this Jesus who has set us free from the sin and condemnation which has so held us in times of past, This Jesus did not just drop out of the sky and came and do what he needed to do to make a way for us. Sometimes we forget to consider the active obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he lived, that he left the throne of heaven, the bosom of his father where he had eternal delight and came and lived among creatures that he created. An obedient life for 30 years. Years and three before he went to the cross to pay for our sins. The writer of Hebrews says he is not one that does not know how to sympathize with our sufferings. Are you struggling with something? God knows it. God knows. In, in fact, the writer of Hebrews there makes it clear that none of us, not even one, not one of us throughout the history of the earth, has suffered to the extent where we had to give our blood for the suffering in the same way that Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. He knows the full sum of our sufferings. And he can empathize with us because he had gone through it in a greater way than we could ever. Because he resisted it to the end. So this is the first thing we need to take heed of. That we are to draw near to God with a true heart. A true heart. Psalm 9. Turn with me to Psalm 9, Psalm 9 quickly. Psalm 9. Verses 1 through to 9. It's a psalm of David. And we know there's perhaps few individuals that, that understood the purpose and destiny of the Christ better than David. 
I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recall, recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations, have made the wicked perish. You have bottled out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruin. Their city you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judged the world with righteousness. He judged the people with uprightness. This is the God to whom we should draw near in true heart. One who does not look away from the injustice that takes shape around us and affect us in so many ways. But he is the one who calls us because of this drawing to him in a true heart. He calls us now to not just do that in a way that it edifies and builds ourselves up. But in accordance with what I read to us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He now implores us to share our experience. To share the truth and the reality that we learn from him through our own sufferings as we point to Jesus and the satisfying, the satisfying delight that we have in Jesus. He calls us to share that in the reality of the fellowship to which he points us to at the end of this passage, saying that we should not neglect the fellowship of the saints, especially as we see the draw, day drawing nearer. So that's the first thing he deals with, that we should come to God with a true heart. The second thing... He addresses to us in this passage, let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 10, is verse 23 now. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How would we look at this holding fast? Now we all can understand to some extent what it would look like to hold on to somebody with dear life or hold on to a philosophy or hold on to a thought. But what is it to hold on to the fullness of God? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm just trying to illustrate to you how this letter is so tremendously entangled. And in this section, you remember I said Jesus was presented as, as the greater example than Moses. And this is what we're looking at here. So from Verses 6, it reads, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So Moses was a caretaker, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit say, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, as I sworn in my raft, they shall not enter my rest. So a part of holding fast to God is coming to an understanding that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have entered this rest that was prepared for us. Jesus had gone before us. Jesus had made a way so that we can be safe in the rest that God himself provides for his children. It's not something you and me can obtain by our own outworking. It's something that Jesus has done. You know, I I sometimes explain to to soldiers when, when I'm in a group setting, they'll sometimes ask me, you know, why, why, why is, is Christianity the right religion? And sometimes I say to them, I'll, I'll just ask them, why do you think, why, why, are, why are you even actually asking that question? But to indulge you, I will say to you, what type of religions are there in the world? And you know, they say there's many types of religions. I'll say to them, no, actually you're wrong. There's only two types of religions. I'll demonstrate. I'll say, say there's a Jew here. A Jew on a panel, you guys are the guys interviewing us. And we have a Jew, and we have a Muslim, and we have a, a Hindu or a Buddhist, and you have uh, myself, a Christian here in the corner, and you are about to interview us. And you're going along the line, and you're asking each of these individuals, you say, Sir, can you tell me, why, wh- wh- why, are you the, wh- why, why do you believe in what you believe? And maybe the Jew will say, well... I believe in God because it has been revealed to me in the Torah. Okay. And he said to the Jew, well, where will you go one day when you die? Oh, that's easy. I will go to paradise. Why will you go to paradise? Well, I will go to paradise because I love the word of God. I love the Torah. I delight to honor God. I delight to show mercy to the poor and the, and, 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 and the weak. And I delight in the law of my God and I keep it every day. So I am a righteous man. I will go to heaven. The reporter will say, yes, okay, I understand that. That makes sense. Moves on to the, 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 the Muslim. Sir, where are you going to go when you die? Oh, I will go to paradise. Why? Well, I'm a good man. I, I observe the five pillars of Islam. I help the poor. I've gone to Mecca to make the pilgrimages. And I honor Allah in all my ways. I will go to heaven. Sure, I understand that. That makes sense. Go to the Buddhist. Where will you go? Where will you go? Oh, I will go to Nirvana. I will go to... You know, be one with the universe. How will you achieve that? I will achieve that by never harming any creatures. I will live in harmony with all of the universe. And eventually, as I succeed in that, I will succeed in becoming nothing. Now I come to the Christian. Sir, where will you go when you die? Well, sir, I believe I will go to heaven. Why? Why do you believe you'll go to heaven? Well, sir, the thing is like this. You see... I have done many, many wrong things in my life. I have broken the law of my God. I have blasphemed and, 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 and belittled his name in so many occasions 
but I will go to heaven because I am saved. Well, what does that mean? How can that be? I can understand all these other men. They, they, they have worked and earned their righteousness. But you're telling me you are a man who, 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 who have done nothing but wrong and you will go to heaven. And I'll say, yes, sir. How can that be? It can be because I trust in the merits of another. I have put my hope and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who bore my sin upon the cross and who have changed me to be more and more like him every day. I am holding fast to Jesus with all my might. And that's my only claim to enter into his kingdom. It's only two religions I tell them. There's a religion of works and a religion of grace through which we are saved by the finished and complete work of Jesus. And we're instructed to hold fast to that reality yet again in a hope to sharing in a hope of sharing it with our brothers and sisters and the rest of the world. And as Christ has determined according to 1 Corinthians 12, it's to be done through the body that he had prepared for his son. How then can we not delight in this fellowship that we have been given? How can we not seek every opportunity to make this fellowship sweeter and more real every moment we have? Meeting together in our homes, meeting together morning and evening, and delighting in the time that we spend together before the Lord. Holding fast to that which God has put before us. But now, let's move on to, to the last section here. In Hebrews. Let me turn back to Hebrews. So, let us hold fast. But in verse 24, it tells us, Let us consider how to stir one another up. For love and good works. That's the final point before we get to the climax in which he calls us to not neglect this fellowship. Stir one another up in love and good works. You know, it is easy for us to get despondent, is it not? How many of us had not at some point in our Christian life suddenly felt, you know what, the Lord has laid something in my heart. Or you, you listen to a, a hymn or a song and it just moves you. And you come to church and you're full of delight and you just want to share it with somebody. And you go, oh, have you ever heard this psalm? It's the greatest psalm. And, you know, the guy who you're sharing it with go, yeah, yeah, I listened to that a long time. It's, that's okay. And then all of a sudden you feel like, oh, why is he not as delighted in that as I am? You know, how many of us have not quenched the flame here or there when somebody has been on fire for the Lord? But brothers and sisters, yet again, we're called not to be despondent. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. The thing is, if we count, if we, if we, the, the problem that we have in this is that we lay this burden of expectation on the feet of our brothers and sisters. Where we shouldn't do that. We should lay our expectations at the feet of Jesus. Because truly, He is the only one that can satisfy, satisfy us in these regards. So Romans, Romans 11 verse, 12, uh, verse 2 says, God has not rejected these people when he, uh, uh, whom He foreknew. 
Do you not know what the scriptures say about Elijah? How the apostle uh, appeals to God against Israel and say to them, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to, be, to Baal. I will say this thing for us, brothers and sisters. When our hope, when our trust is in Jesus, when we seek to stir one another up in love and good works because of what Jesus had done for us and not because of what we expect people's reaction or responses will be, then we will not be despondent in any of these things because God's preserving power and His preserving grace throughout our country, even now, is far more significant than any of us could ever realize. We are not going through the difficulty or the straying from Christianity that we see so prevalently in our society. Uh, we're not going through this because God is out of control. No, we're going through this because God has ordained this very moment to be as it is. And he is working out all things together for the good of those who love him. You know, do we firmly believe that? Because if we firmly believe that, we will go out in a continual confidence, knowing as I speak to people about Jesus, as I share the gospel, as I engage with people, God is the one who is at work in the background for His glory and my good. We are to stir one another up in love and good works. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You know, it is easy for us when we look at the, the complexities of God's grace and the way it is poured out to say, well, what's the need? What's the need for me to labor in this regard? God will have mercy on whom we have mercy. You know, God's grace, brothers and sisters, is an amazing thing that has been bestowed upon us. It says in Galatians chapter 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Brothers and sisters, we are to seek to join together in this fellowship which God has prepared for us. To love one another, to display God's grace to one another, to stir one another up, to encourage one another, to walk up to each other and say stuff like, how has your work week been? Have you sought to glorify God in all that you do? Have you delighted in Jesus and his word this week? No? How can I help you, brother? Can I pray with you over this? Keeping one another accountable. If we're not meeting together, if we don't know one another, stuff like that is impossible. Most of you will be, feel pretty uncomfortable if somebody you don't really know comes up to you and asks things like this. 
But when we have engaged in sweet fellowship that the Lord had prepared for us, then it becomes the natural response. This is why we should not neglect the fellowship of the saints, especially as we see the day drawing nearer, because God has ordained it. I'll close with a thought from the Puritans. The Puritans referred to the Lord's Day really as the market day of the soul. They strived to to cultivate lifestyles through which they would work hard for six days of the week. They would labor intensely. They had a great work ethic. And they would work for six days. But when it got to the Lord's Day, the majority of them had this view that it was the day where they should trade in spiritual commodities only. All secular affairs were put to one side so that they may delight in the Lord and seek to stir their fellow brethren up to delight in the Lord as well. This is a challenge for us, brothers and sisters. We are living in a world that is becoming ever more and more busy. There is multiple reasons why not to be here tonight or this morning. Many reasons that if you share them with me, I would probably agree and say, yeah, brother, I can understand why you're not here. But is God not the priority in our life? I said this morning, I said it's easy. It's easy for many Christians. I believe, I, I believe there's many faithful servants of God who would gladly die for Jesus. But would they as gladly live for Him? Every aspect of their life dedicated to glorifying and serving their Savior who hanged on the cross for them. The one who gave their life but also lived in active obedience that we might have that life counting as ours. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Father, it it doesn't matter who we are here tonight. I think each and every one of us as we search our soul can recognize that there is so much more that we can do for the kingdom. And Lord, the wonderful thing is that We know the things that we do for your kingdom. We don't need to do in our own strength or our own abilities. You are the one who strengthens us. You are the one who sustains us. And then to have this glorious thought that on the day when we stand before you, although it was all from you, you will still place a reward before us. And oh God, what greater reward can we have than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? It's like he said to the woman who poured out the oil upon his head, they who had much been forgiven of will love much. And in the same way, Father, we acknowledge that they who desire you much would receive the greatest reward because you truly, Lord Jesus, our Savior, is the most great reward that we can ever have in heaven. So, Father, help our hearts to delight in you. Help us to draw near to you with a true heart. Help us to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And help us, Father, 
to stir one another up in love and good works as we seek to be less and less negligent in meeting together for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.